Hey, before we start today's episode, I just want to quickly apologize for the fact that Zach's mic wasn't on properly during the record. Fortunately, he doesn't say much of interest anyway, so you're not missing out on much. And we were able to boost his audio so you can hear the few interesting things he does have to say. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hello and welcome to... The Big Rishi. The Big Rishi! Hey! Well, we should clap more on this program. Yeah. No, Why not? We're not American. Come on. <laughs> Let's start. Are we going to do this? This can't start. I need Scarlett, whoever's editing, to add some applause. Oh, when I say Big Rishu, <laughs> we just don't acknowledge it. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to the Big Rishu. I'll do a take without. <laughs> Hello and welcome to The Big Rishi, our podcast where we track the first 100 days of Rishi Sunak's Premiership and find out if he's able to do anything that he wants to. I'm joined as always by Ben Blissett, TLDR UK's lead writer, and Zach Michaelis, our editor-in-chief. How are you both doing? Good. Yeah, very, very well. Feels like a little bit, since it's been three of us at least. Oh, yes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. It has. Oh. I, I popped in slightly on Friday, but... Um... It was, more. Yeah, you that's did. exactly what it was. You yeah. came in in the middle of a holiday. Your mm. friends sat in reception. They thought you were just coming up to drop something off. And you did a podcast. It's unbelievable. the podcast. Okay. Yes. Well, there might be a cameo in this episode. The could Stay they, tuned. Yeah. Who could it be? Rory. Tony Blair. So, the first issue we need to discuss today, the, the thing that's facing Rishi Sunak this week, um, is the by-election in Chester. So... Mm. For anyone who's not familiar with this, pretend I know nothing about it. Pretend I only learned where Chester was half an hour ago. Tell me what's going on, Ben. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to be able to suspend disbelief on Ooh. that for, for this. Um, but yeah, uh, so basically earlier, earlier this year, last month, um, the MP for Chester, Chris Matheson, mm -hmm. um, resigned because of uh, sexual misconduct allegations. Um, he denies them. It was basically he'd acted inappropriately towards a junior member of his staff. Mm -hmm. um, there was a, two sort of main complaints, one relating to a trip to Gibraltar, which um, he invited her on and his accusations that that was sexually motivated and another mm -hmm. about a work party. Um, he Again, he denied it, but the report found that he, he, he was found guilty of, um, I think, sexual harassment. Uh, he... Um, decided to stand down, mm -hmm. um, saying that he, he couldn't sort of defend his innocence in there and that he, you know, uh, he, he said that the four-week suspension that he was given was excessive and unfair, but that uh, standing down was the honourable and right thing to do, um, which meant that there's a by-election. He was a Labour MP, mm -hmm. um, so uh, the Tories could win it. There's a, a bit of a background with it switching. The, the Chester city of Chester had switched hands between the Conservatives and Labour quite a number of times in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. So the Conservatives could realistically win it, but obviously it's a by-election, the Conservatives are in power, and they're not doing that well in the polls at the minute, so it's going to be a bit tricky. But effectively, it's because he stood down. The by-election itself is this Thursday, which mm -hmm. means we should have results um, early Friday morning. Exciting. A seat up for grabs. This mm. doesn't happen that often. Chester. It's the place to be this weekend. <laughs> I just got excited. It was it was the romance of Chester. Interesting. Okay, so uh, MPC art for grabs doesn't happen all that often. Um, who is likely to win here? Who's actually standing in the race, and who are the contenders? Yeah. So um, obviously, Labour aren't fielding Chris Matheson again. Um, yeah. Because he stood down. So Samantha Dixon is standing in for Labour. Mm -hmm. um, she was a former uh, councillor. 
um, and she was elected by local members, so obviously member of the community. So there's Liz Wardlaw, who is running for the Conservatives, and she was also a councillor. And then there's Rob Hurd for the Liberal Democrats, who is a, a Cheshire teacher and parish councillor. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> the um, monster raving loony part are also filling a candidate. Fun thing to note. Good um, name on the candidate or boring one? They're normally uh, quite good. Uh, Howling Lord Hope, um, who's one of the big. That's, that's he's one of the big the members. One. Actually, I was hoping for a more a um, new one. It's not that clever. It's not that funny, is it? No, no. it's always him too. It is always him. Howling Lord Hope's the only one I know. The, the point is that they're all quite local figures. Yes, um, very much so. Interestingly, Sky News, there's been no real polls about which way this could go. There's been some suggestions of journalists sort of suggesting which way it could go. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sky News sort of had a bit of a walk around and spoke to locals and they yeah. noticed that a lot of locals weren't really speaking about local issues. Um, there were a lot of them were talking about obviously the chaos in politics recently. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of responses saying that basically Rishi Sunak does seem to be a much more sensible candidate and they're happy. Whether that means they will vote Conservative, as you know, I've yeah. already alluded to, the Conservatives have quite an uphill battle winning this by election, even though, you know, uh, this was a Labour MP who was accused of um, sexual misconduct and stepped step down, mm-hmm. they did have um a pretty sizable majority. It sort of slipped slightly in 2019. Labour still had a pretty sizable majority there. Um, and national polling suggests that uh, the Conservatives are behind. Plus, obviously, Labour have replaced their candidates. So mm-hmm. maybe um, locals will, you know, feel Hold a bit more comfortable bit. voting for Labour following oh, that. Uh, but yeah, it's going to be quite difficult for the Conservatives. It's interesting how much of a focus parties put on having local candidates these days. Mm. It's a bit more a bit of a trend. You know, mm. In the sort of 2010s, parties felt a lot more confident building candidates who were basically just a stamp from party figures and had no relation to the national constituency. Mm-hmm. Especially because there were quite few by-elections happening at the minute. Often, well, not often, but you can uh, at times see national parties use by-elections to get figures sort of into, yeah, into yeah, um, mm-hmm. Parliament. Yeah. And it's, it's less common now. Because a lot of talk about Andy Burnham mm-hmm. um, trying to, because he's obviously Mayor of Manchester, the yeah. 24 election coming up, maybe Labour could be returned to power. Uh, so they need to try and get him into Parliament, mm-hmm. maybe if they want him in government. Um, so there's been talk about how to, which by-election potentially to use to get him in. Um, but yeah, they're not. That this, obviously, this by-election isn't being used for that. They're all local yeah. candidates. Finally, then on this topic, if we do zoom out nationally, what would the impact of this result be? If the Conservatives win, if Labour win, obviously it's only one seat. But what what kind of impact are we well, looking at here? This is this is sorry, Zach. You, no, no, I feel no, like I, I've... I don't know anything about. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. No. I, I think obviously this is Sunak's first by-election, mm-hmm. so I think um, journalists will sort of be True. looking in on this to see whether they've improved and the Conservatives' electoral standing. The Conservatives, I think, pretty much... Again, there's been no polling, mm-hmm. so it's it's hard to actually say who's going to win or lose. So just looking at it from like a, a wider perspective, it's going to be quite difficult for the Conservatives. They're obviously really far behind in the polls at the minute. Yeah. Um, obviously, they, they're, this seat traditionally was Conservative. So from 1910 until 1997, um, it was Conservative, and then it went Labour until 2010, but then it sort of switched around a bit. So from 2010 to 15, it was Conservative, and it's been Labour since 15. So historically, it was Conservative. It's quite an affluent area, sort of Middle England. Um, it traditionally should be a Conservative win, but obviously Labour did quite, has done quite well in recent years. They, it was very close in 15, but they managed to increase their majority. So the fact that they've maintained like a 15, 16 point mm-hmm. lead suggests that they it, it is more of a, con, uh, a Labour area now. Um, so the Conservatives on paper look like they're going to have a difficult job. Yeah. But it, it all sort of depends how much focus the electorate there 
put on either national politics, and if yep. you put it on national <clears throat> politics, it could go Labour, or on the actual scandal itself, and because it's a Labour MP involved in sexual misconduct, they might lend their vote to the Conservatives, or maybe the Lib Dems. Mm -hmm. So, if you, you know, going back to the original question of what does this mean for national politics, in all honesty, probably not too much, but there will be some focus on the fact that it's Rishi Sunak's first, and it will just be used as an indicator for that. Yeah. Well, the expectations are very low, so it's yes. one of those where you can't really lose that much. I mean, if you lose the by-election, that's what everyone expected. If he somehow, again, I don't even know what the odds are, but if he somehow wins it... But it, it depends if he's absolutely demolished and the, the Conservative vote share sure. goes down by loads, then indication's going to be taken from that, but... Yeah, but you're but basically, for the most part, yes. you see, the expectations are pretty low, so you can't lose that badly. Of course, unless he gets absolutely hammered. Yeah. Wait and see. Wait and see. Very, very exciting. By the end of the week, by the next episode, yeah, come on, better indication. We'll be live in Chester. Will we? Yeah. Cool. That's the first main issue that he's facing at the moment. Obviously, the by-election. Some pressure. I mean, obviously, as you say, not not the most high-pressure election we've ever seen. But at least but it's an indicator. It's an indicator. It's his first uh, moment like this in the spotlight. Um, the other the other issue that he's facing at the moment is in relation to a speech that he gave last night. Uh, the speech was, where was it at? It was a Guildhall. Guildhall. And it was uh, about Sunak's approach to China. Mm -hmm. What sort of stance is going to take on that? Um, I think the first thing to say here is that this, this isn't like a detailed policy statement in a meaningful sense. This is this is more just, it's like it's more rhetoric than mm -hmm. actual policy. Um, and so you'd be wary of inferring too much from this. But... In it, I think the precise language that Sunak used, he said that he wanted to be strong on China, but was it strong pragmatism? Yeah, it was, it was robust pragmatism. Robust pragmatism. So he wanted to be strong on China, but at the same time wanted his foreign policy to be guided by this like, robust pragmatism, which that's the sort of language I think, I think you, it's, it's definitely not the most hawkish mm -hmm. sort of language that you've heard, especially from conservative politicians recently. I think Trust, for example, wouldn't have talked about pragmatism um, in the same context. Um, and, and some conservative MPs have already come out to criticise him, saying he's been essentially too soft, or he's planning to be too soft on China. I think is it Ian Duncan Smith? Yeah, Ian Duncan Smith. There was a, there was a few that sort of criticised him. Ian Duncan Smith was, was the biggest one. Yeah. Anyone else? Um, Tim Loughton, who is a um, Conservative minister, and Jacob Rees-Mogg, interestingly and enough. Jacob Rees-Mogg is pretty loud these days. He's having a go at everyone. Um, I think the you know I, I th when it comes to Sunak's foreign policy, I just think he has no foreign policy experience. Mm -hmm. He's always going to be slightly weenier, and I think that I don't think it's really his area of interest. I think he's fundamentally just more interested in, in maintaining economic stability domestically. Yeah. Um, so I think that actually we shouldn't infer too much from this. The really decisive thing will be when the integrated review is updated. So mm -hmm. the integrated review was basically this massive, um, it's this massive sort of like policy paper that tried to combine the UK's foreign policy with its defence policy because. Mm -hmm. For a long time, the two have been somewhat out of lockstep. You know, um, our foreign policy shifts about quite a lot. Half the time, we're focused on. I mean, for example, now we're focused on Ukraine. Like yeah. Before, considering this sort of like age of tilt following the US, <coughs> we weren't really sure if we were actually going to follow the US. Yeah. Um, oh, have fun. We're doing. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Um, that? Leave that. That was our guest. We promised a okay. cameo. Yeah, sure. Thomas um, is taking a light back. But the um, uh, and the interview was supposed to sort of like make these things run parallel. So, yeah. was, so we you know we invest in the defence that's relevant for where our foreign policy is going to go. So if we're going to go to the Asia Pacific, we can invest more in the Navy. If yeah. Focus more on European defence, you know, akin to what you know if Ukraine has sort of created that anxiety, then you might invest more heavily in the army, for example. Mm -hmm. Obviously that came out last year. 
um, which means that it's, it's slightly irrelevant because the security environment has changed so drastically yeah. in the past years, basically since Ukraine was, well, Russia invaded Ukraine. Um, and Hunt basically announced in his autumn statement that the integrated views could be updated yet again. Um, and I, I, no one, I don't know what they're going to say in it, you know, we'll have to wait for it. Mm -hmm. But my, my intuition would be that the previous integrated view was very hawkish on China. Yeah. Described them as the sort of greatest systemic threat, um, the, the greatest state-based threat to well, what you might call like the liberal world order, the Western sure. world order. Um, and I, I would expect this would be, this would be the same. Um, yeah, that's, that's sort of what I think. And I think that actually, in terms of actual policy actions, the UK has taken quite a healthy stance on China. So obviously, we, we, we lean more heavily towards the US when it comes to defence, where we're pretty, we've essentially since we left the EU, um, we've sort of buddied up to the Americans and been like, yeah, we'll follow you guys around, you want to go to the Asia Pacific, sure, we'll, we'll follow you. Um, and you can see that in the AUKUS deal mm -hmm. uh, last year, the um, nuclear submarine deal with Australia. Yeah. Um, and then more recently, obviously, the Japan-UK security pact that happened a couple of months ago um, that suggests that we're making sort of bilateral moves to increase our, our presence um, in the Asia-Pacific. So I think that so, like, so far, we've taken quite a walkish stance on China. And I think that the, the money would be on that continuing. I think that actually that the Americans are clearly taking great power competition more seriously. Mm -hmm. They don't want us to follow suit. And so the, the, your bet, I mean, the most likely outcome here is that we continue to take a very hopeful stance on China. Yeah. Uh, it's also politically popular in the UK. You know, most people aren't quite aware of China. And that's sort of fair enough. And you, you can see that with the Sunak stuff, and especially during the leadership campaign, when he was essentially, he was just sort of boxed in politically. He had to say and take a mm -hmm. stance on China, even though I don't think he had really any clear intuitions on it. Um, but the only thing I would say is that I think that whenever we have people have these conversations, they they just forget how how much this all depends on how China behaves. Yes. Um, and I think that there's this sort of there's this sort of background assumption that China is going to continue to behave in the slightly bellicose way that it has so far. And, and again, that's probably a good bet. You know, there's there's little reason to think that the Chinese will necessarily you know, cool down. Let's say their island military islands in the South Pacific mm -hmm. or South China Sea rather, or that they'll basically toned down the diplomacy, which has been very, very bellicose in the last couple of years. But then again, I think you have seen a slight decrease in what we might call war diplomacy recently. Um, Chinese diplomats are a bit more measured in tone at the moment. Um, and there is some very, very provisional evidence that China is looking for a sort of detente of sorts with the US. Um, yeah, for example, they suspended military, uh, essentially military dialogue mm -hmm. after closest visit to Taiwan. Um, but recently, I think some of the Chinese, some Chinese ministers have suggested reopening that. I think that there is a, people don't really think about this, but I think there was a, essentially people don't think that people just treat China as a static agent in this, in this conversation, when actually you could see a, a change in policy from China. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that would have, that would really, that would really be the deciding. You know, China decides to take a sort of more dovish tone, all this sort of stuff, and go for a form of detente with the US. Then that just takes all the momentum out of this sort of like Sino-centric anti-China foreign policy. Um, so yeah, that's my big takeaway: is that it depends on the Chinese, and no one knows what the, what the CCP are thinking or doing. Yeah. The the ultimate black box, but there is some very provisional evidence um, that they might be softening a little bit. And if that continues, then I think we should expect to see us policy. And when it comes to our reaction specifically, kind of the UK's thoughts on things, we've mentioned certain people are unhappy, but. 
what has the exact reaction been, especially from within the Conservative Party, to Sunak's potentially shift in approach or certainly shift in rhetoric? As Zach alluded to earlier, there's been some pushback. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ian Duncan Smith was one of the big ones um, who mainly took issue with the phrase of... Um, uh, the, the, the robust pragmatism phrase. Yeah, um, I think he, he called it a t- he called it tautological nonsense. Um, was I think his his phrase. Um, basically, I think a lot of uh, backbench conservative MPs just think that he hasn't gone far enough and that he's not being hawkish enough um, with with China. Um, <clears throat> Jacob Rees-Mogg actually called out some specific instances in the last couple of years where we should have taken a harsher stance. Uh, well, and this was the same with um, Tim Loughton, mm-hmm. um, was just calling in the ambassador to sort of tell them off whenever China did anything. Um, so... Uh, Could we not be doing that? Is that no, he's yeah. saying that that's not enough. Uh, he's saying that that's what we do. That is our response and that's yeah. not good enough. So Jacob Rees-Mogg was saying that, I wonder what effect calling the ambassador in has and whether... Uh, more doesn't need to be done urgently that actually has an effect on the Chinese operation in the UK. Uh, should we not look at expelling diplomats to take tougher action in international forums where Chinese interests are at stake to do things that the Chinese would not want us to do, like improving our relationship with Taiwan or inviting the Dalai Lama on a formal visit by the British government? Um, that we're not a pushover. Uh, we're not going to support the communist running dogs. So he's basically just saying that you know we should take t- um, a tougher line. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are a number of backbench MPs that probably share that opinion um interestingly obviously jacob Rees-Mogg is of the sort of brexiteer contingent of yeah. the conservative party tim Loughton also was uh you know voted brexit and and was quite a, a big brexiteer that faction of the conservative party seems to be a little bit against um sunak's speech worth um, that a couple of cabinet members are conspicuously hawkish on china so mm-hmm. tom Zugenhardt, for example has been pushing obviously he's, he's generally quite <coughs> he's been pushing Sunak to close down the 30 or so Confucius Institutes in the in the UK. Confucius Institutes are sort of like they're sort of Chinese equivalent of an NGO. Mm-hmm. They're like um, they're cultural centres. Uh, um, but sometimes they're accused of essentially being sort of covert propaganda institutes. So the, the, the claim there is that while they're normally about like teaching Chinese language and stuff, mm-hmm. about teaching Chinese culture, they're also sort of passively trying to like, indoctrinate or propagandise. Sure. Um, and obviously the other one is Ben Wallace, who, uh, oh, not Ben Wallace, who's the other bloke? Uh, Johnny Mercer, yeah. uh, who's also pretty hawkish on China. Um, so I think that the, the cabinet is, some of the cabinet are pretty hawkish on China. I think all of this in the end, it's just a symptom of that one problem that Sunak has, is that both within the wider parliamentary party and his cabinet, there just is not you know, consensus, mm-hmm. not anything. And there, this is like another instance of there not being yeah. consensus. Yeah. You know, various members of cabinet will be upset with, even any mention of pragmatism, um, and various members will be upset with all this chat about how they're great strategic rivals and you know the big threat to the liberal world order. There just isn't consensus on this issue, and uh, yeah, it's another thing that Sunak's going to struggle with. I can't really see a way out of it for him. I think this is exactly what we're going to see until 2024, which is that Sunak will come out with a policy and there'll be constant Conservative MPs coming out in the press saying they don't like it. Because the Conservative, as you say, the Conservative mm-hmm. Party is just factional at the minute. There is no united, cohesive party, and anything that Sunak does will um, elicit yeah. outrage from some faction of the backbenches. That really is the bigger issue that he's facing. That is the, that is the meta issue. Universal issue. Yeah. With that, um, we will join you again later in the week. Well, I won't be here, but you guys will be. Yeah. Um, to discuss... What happens in Cheshire, I guess? I'm in Chester, but yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Cheers, Jack. Good.
Callback. Thank you very much. Callback. Yeah, thank you for your excellent hosting today, Jack. Uh, yeah, I think it's been award-winning. I think I should be nominated for something in the TLDR Awards first. It's been a real, real <laughs> barnstormer <laughs> of an episode. We're not keeping that in. Scarlet, we're we keeping it. What we're not anymore. It's all. Sh- <laughs> no. Yeah, that's why I might as well stay in. No, what? No, the, the conversation is good. This bit is shit. Okay. Say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for watching. Let us know what you thought on Twitter. Um, be sure to use the word. I don't care. Go on, give me a word. F- um, okay. Uh, I don't know. Thank you so much for watching. This has been The Bigger Issue, hosted by me, award-winning host Jack Kelly, um, alongside Zach Michaelis and Ben Blissett. It was produced by Jan Adamic and edited by Scarlett Watshorn. It was a 326 production for TLDR News. It was actually the other way around. TLDR production for 326. Nice. No one's watching. They stopped. As soon as you get the credits, they stopped. Uh, and a parish councillor. So, <laughs> the fuck is this? <laughs>